0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Miranda Popke is a California native, and much of her debut novel, Topics of Conversation, is set in that state. But the novel has a St. Louis origin story. It's while she was in the MFA program at Washington University that she wrote much of it. And it's at WashU that she even realized that it could be and was a novel. So joining us today to talk about topics of conversation is Miranda Popke. Miranda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So something so curious about you and about this book. I understand you didn't necessarily set out to write a novel, and yet you wrote one. I feel like so many people try to write novels,
1: and they don't. How did you almost fall into writing a novel? Well... I was in an MFA program, and that um, that program has what a lot of programs have, which is a workshop model. So you bring um, typically a short story into a workshop, and your colleagues um, and your professor sort of talk about it. And I was not trying to write a novel because there was not um, – I, I wasn't seeing that that was going to be the most uh, useful way to spend my time. And then I ended up stringing three short stories together and showing them to a visiting writer, Ben Marcus. And he was uh, a very generous reader, a very kind reader. And he encouraged me to sort of follow the voice that I had developed across these three short stories. I think if I tried, just if I had tried to write a novel, set out to write it, um, I. I would have failed. <laughs> and you said you didn't feel that writing a novel was the
0: most useful way to spend your time. You're, you're in an MFA program. What held you back from thinking that was the best and highest use of your time?
1: Well, I, I will say that I was uh, I was in part discouraged because I had spent my first year not only writing short stories, but taking this novel workshop. So um, it was a class specifically for those of us who thought, you know, let's tackle the novel. But I just wasn't really able to get anywhere, and the problem was I couldn't figure out how to plot um, a story. I know how to tell a story to my friends, and I I know how to tell a story, um, you know, around the dinner table. But I just couldn't figure out a way to put those talents. Hopefully, skills uh, into a sort of traditional three actor, five act structure. So that, that was what I was struggling with. And so, for your professor to
0: realize, hey, these three linked stories, you're already part of the way there, was that, that just kind of almost
1: the permission you needed to throw out the three to five act structure? <laughs> yeah. Um, we talk a lot about permission um, in MFA workshops and classes. Um, And I do think that getting that permission was absolutely key. I also want to give credit to the author Rachel Cusk, whose outline trilogy I would recommend to um, any interested readers that is also structured, all three of her novels in that series outline transit and kudos are structured as conversations. And when I first read outline back in the fall of 2014, it opened up a real space of possibility. Um, I'm very interested in the different ways that we can write novels that aren't, you know, um, set up rising action, climax, uh, resolution. And it is—it's a, a very unusual book, but it's also a very approachable book. This is not something that's hard
0: to get into, where I'm you're like, "Yeah, that. when is it going to get interesting?" Like, you know, the voice kind of grabs you from the beginning. I was—I was laughing. Um, there's actually a warning to readers on the book of the month site where it says, "Caution: This is a very short book that is less about plot and more about <laughs> ideas." And you later tweeted um, that link, and you were laughing, and you said too accurate
1: in all caps. So you realize that about your own book. Oh, absolutely. My, um, My friend Kevin Nguyen, who actually has a novel coming out later this year called New Waves, he texted me because he found that warning. And I have to believe it's the first sort of content warning that's ever been issued for lack of plot. And I know that authors are not supposed to read their Goodreads reviews. That's sort of famously a place that authors should stay away from. But I haven't been able to resist dipping my toe. And I think some of those Book of the Month readers, unfortunately, did not heed the content warning and seemed to be quite upset. (laughs) Oh, no. So they were then in there going, where's the plot? Where's the plot and why are so many of the sentences run on? And you just have to be sort of cheerful and have a good attitude. Um, I know that I didn't write a book that's for everyone, but I think... If you do decide it is for you, I, I hope at the end of it, you're going to get something out of it.
0: And I would say, having read it, I think there's a lot in there to to just chew on. It's it's such an interesting book. And one of the chapters that I found most interesting, mm-hmm. I saw an interview where you said this was one of the chapters where it be- come together in your head as a book. And this is the chapter about Norman Mailer stabbing Mm -hmm. his wife. Mm -hmm. Now, this chapter, you describe your protagonist um, looking up YouTube videos about violent marriages. And she finds a 45-minute video labeled Norman Mailer Documentary Interview Outtake. And the next 25 pages are basically a transcript of this interview. And it turns out, I had to look into this because I was so curious, this interview is with a person who doesn't exist. So what gave you the idea of creating this character who is at a
1: party where Norman Mailer, and this did really happen. He did stab his wife Adele. He did stab his second wife, and I, I do think that that should be the first or second thing that people say about Norman Mailer when they talk about him. It's interesting. It's always such a footnote. It really is. Uh, there was an interview around the time that I was writing that section with his official biographer. I believe the interview was with um, a female journalist for the Wash or for the Village Voice, and. In their conversation, he seems to forget until she reminds him that he, in fact, did stab and almost kill, um, she came quite close to death, his second wife, um, Adele Morales. I Again, I'll trace this right back to Wash U and to the wonderful, wonderful professors I had there. Um, Marshall Klemiszewski was teaching a class in the fall of 2017 called Unoriginal Genius, and the idea was working with existing texts. And there was something about... um, the newspaper accounts that I was reading about Norman Mailer's um, stabbing of his wife, her memoir, some pieces of biographies of him that I read. There was something about that act of violence and the the ease with which he was reintegrated into the literary community that I found really resonant. Um, I used to work, I used to live in New York and I used to work in book publishing. And I I don't think that an author of Mailer's stature... I want to believe an author... There's not an author whose stature is is such that he could get away with stabbing his wife at a party in New York in the year 2020. But this was also when um, the... uh, There was a list of names circulating in the literary community, men who had um, been accused of sort of all sorts of different kinds of sexual misconduct. And I was... Wondering how far, in fact, we had come mm-hmm. from a time when Norman Mailer stabs his wife and she tries to protect him because she, know that she's gonna, she knows that she's going to get blamed and she gets blamed anyway. And when he reenters the literary community, he himself, I think with some surprise, says there was only 5% less warmth. You really dig into the fact that Adele Morales, his his second wife, was a, quote,
0: sexual exotic to the Manhattan literary milieu. And I'm wondering in the research you did, how much do you think that played a part of it, that she was the other in a community that was waspy or Jewish or but just wasn't Latina?
1: Yes, um, that is a quote from one of the biographies that I read. I was really surprised. I think the biography was published in the 90s or maybe even the early 2000s to find such a sort of charged and clearly offensive uh, characterization um, of a woman who had um, a life of her own before she met Norman Mailer and ambitions of her own when it came to uh, being an artist. She was a visual artist, which is also something that sort of never gets mentioned. I do think that the scene in Uh, New York at that time was very white and the fact that she was not white is a kind of difference that she felt and I think it made it easier for the members of the literary community to sort of come together around Norman Mailer and protect him Uh, I also think that it's a great deal of sexism Um, Norman Mailer was an important writer and she was just his wife um and that played a huge part as well so you uh, you've mentioned that
0: um, you know, sort of the Me Too movement hitting the literary scene mm. did help inspire this. And it's interesting, at the same time you were on campus at WashU, the university was also really struggling with this issue. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was that whole title mine movement where undergrads were sort of rising up and saying they did not like how sexual assaults were being handled. I'm wondering, is that something that also influenced your thinking? Or is there such a dividing line between grad students and undergrads that that was less on your radar?
1: Yeah, I was definitely aware of the the conversation around Title IX and the under when I was an undergraduate I was at Yale University and there have also been Title IX complaints launched there about the ways in which sexual harassment and um, sexual assault have been handled by the university. So I think that this is all part of a broader conversation. Um, I don't think that you, can separate the kind of you know Hollywood Harvey Weinstein harassment from the kind of you know Title IX scenarios that undergraduates are dealing with at WashU. It's all part of this broader conversation that we need to be having. We're talking to Miranda Popke, who's the
0: author of the new novel, Topics of Conversation. She actually has a reading at Left Bank Books tonight. If you're interested in joining her, that kicks off at 7 p.m. Talking about how this book fits into the Me Too movement, I was interested though that there are so many nice guys in this book. Some of them are positively doormats for these women that are are so full of life and and want things so badly that they're treating the men in their lives terribly. And some of these women are, are very very open about their deceit. I'm wondering Mm. how that fits into this idea of believe all women. I wouldn't believe some of the women in this book if they were making up an accusation.
1: Well, I think that when we say believe all women, what we're asking for is to give the accuser um, in these cases the benefit of the doubt. I think the benefit of the doubt has rested so easily and for too long um, with the man in the situation, with the person who has been accused. Um, And I also think that these women are deceitful in personal relationships and they are deceitful with friends and lovers. But I believe that if any of them came forward publicly and came forward specifically uh, in a legal context and tried to bring some kind of assault claim, that they would be doing that only if something had really happened. Women are very, very aware of the weight that that kind of claim has. Um, and I think that we're very cautious about bringing it also because we're too, all too aware of the kind of backlash that we will inevitably face. I'm very curious about your time
0: at WashU, in part because you're a California native. Mm -hmm. You had been living in New York, Mm -hmm. spent time on both coasts. Um, Was it hard to find yourself there in the middle of the Midwest?
1: I really love St. Louis. Um, My husband has a wonderful job that he loves at a high school outside of Boston. And we always knew that we were going to move back to the Boston area. That's also where his family is. But you know, in a in a different scenario, in a different life, I would love to live in St. Louis. I think it's a um, a city that has such vibrant culture and such possibility, and is also a place where I experienced a kind of political awakening. Um, not that I was apolitical before, but I found a really um, strong base of uh, sort of political. Str- uh, struggle here. There's a lot of people who are interested in changing the city for the better. Um, so
0: you were paying some attention to local politics while you were here. I
1: was. I was. I canvassed for uh, our for us. Uh, a special aldermanic election in my ward, actually. For Interesting. Rice.
0: Oh, you okay? Yeah. So yeah, so you kind of ended up um, uh, getting together with the progressive movement here in the city. Absolutely. Um, in your thank yous in this mm-hmm. book, I thought they were just so charming to read. And one of them, you have a thank you to 67 Edgewood, and then you say, "And the quick trip on King's Highway, and the fried chicken at schnooks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering. I often take for granted that
1: fried chicken at schnooks. Is it really that good, or was this just a writing aid? <laughs> Um, there were a couple long nights of sort of talking and writing and revising. Um, I would be reading with, uh, with a friend and, and sort of talking about what was working in the novel and what wasn't. And we would be drinking bourbon and we would be eating that fried chicken. And I don't think the novel would have gotten written without that fried chicken. Um, I will say about that quick trip. I was going to ask about that quick trip. Yeah. Um, I went there, you know. A dozen or more times at like 3 a.m. in the morning to to get Lunchables. I don't know why I thought that that was the snack that was going to help me keep going and keep writing, but I would get Lunchables at 3 a.m. in the morning and I would come back and I would get another couple hours of work done. So thank God for those St. Louis quick trips. Absolutely. So for people who
0: are thinking about whether or not to grapple with this, as you've acknowledged, unusual novel Mm -hmm. that's a little bit short on plot. Um, but very long on just the strong voice of this protagonist, what
1: would you want them to know going into it? I would want them to know that it's a very voice-driven novel as opposed to a plot-driven novel. I would also want them to know that it's dealing, pretty frankly, with sexual assault, um, and that that if that is something that is uncomfortable for the reader, I, you know, would respect that and would want them to to know that before going in. And I guess the last thing that I would want them to know is that um, my protagonist is pretty unlikable. And I think that that is a term that gets thrown around. And a woman has, you know, more than one glass of wine and she's a, a, a daring, unlikable protagonist. Um, but the narrator of my novel is judgmental and self-sabotaging. And she is... Uh, True to, I think, the worst moments of my own personality, but she's the worst moments all of the time, or at least most of the time, until um, things sort of change for her. So. Those are some warnings I would I would give. <laughs> Those are some
0: good warnings. And I will say, I mean, this book, um, the protagonist does, I don't want to give anything away, mm-hmm. but there are some points where she sort of reckons with some of the lies she's been telling herself. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, I think it's a book people may enjoy. And if they want to get a glimpse of that voice, of that protagonist, I imagine you'll be reading some chapters tonight at Left Bank Books where they can hear
1: that. Absolutely. Um, I will be reading a short selection. Um, long readings are... Uh, I I find often very difficult for the audience, as well as for the increasingly dry-mouthed reader. So it'll be a a short reading, and then I'll be in conversation with my dear friend, Emma Wilson. Well, Miranda Popke, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank
0: you so much. This was so much fun. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.